So we're going to continue with the chapter in Samsara Nirvana and Buddha Nature uh, on the mind and its potential. Okay, so we're still in the... Yeah, there's this whole back section here, which is about Buddha Nature. So we're just at the beginning of that. Okay, so let's uh, visualize the mirror field and ourselves surrounded by all sentient beings. And they say, oh, when you visualize like this, put the people that you don't get along with uh, right in front of you. So you have to look at them in order to see the mirror field. And they too, like everybody else, are looking at the merit field. And we're leading them in, taking refuge, and generating bodhicitta. Let's cultivate our motivation. So this lifetime we have a precious human life, which isn't uh, just any old human life. It's one with 18 special conditions that give us the opportunity to meet the Dharma, to hear teachings, to think about them and to practice them, and thus to uh, integrate the Dharma in our mind and progress on the path. So each of these 18 circumstances have uh, its own causes. It's very difficult to create all the causes for all 18 So when we have this rebirth, it's very important to use it wisely, precisely because it is difficult to create the causes for it and receive it again. And if we don't have a precious human life, then we will either be wandering in the lower realms, which is absolutely no fun at all, 
or we could wind up with a human rebirth, but having many, many obstacles. So, for example, having very strong spiritual yearning, wanting to learn something that made sense, and yet not being able to meet the Buddhist Dharma. So if you think how, uh, what a painful circumstance that would be, and how we don't have it right now, but we have had those kind of obscurations in the past, and we could in the future, then it really acts to help us appreciate our lives and not give in to the afflictions that sometimes might feel rather pleasant in our mind, but uh, waste a lot of time and create a lot of negative karma. So let's really approach the teachings this evening with eagerness and uh, appreciation. And of course, with the motivation that the end result of our listening to teachings and practicing them will be our ability to uh, lead others on the path to Buddhahood. Sometimes we we hear about different, uh, you know, like these taking conditions for precious human life, and it they don't seem like a big deal, or it doesn't seem like well, you know, we don't have those hindrances, and we don't know anybody who has them, and anyway, you can get around them in one way or another, uh, uh, but just. Um, you know, in these days, uh, two things that, you know, you don't encounter very often popped up. So one is, you um, may remember Mansoor, who came here 
Yeah. So uh, he's blind. He's deaf. Yeah. That's one of the unfree states. Yeah. And uh, I remember when I was first learning that, oh, a lot of Westerners said, oh, that's discriminatory, you know, uh, because nowadays there's Braille, so the blind can read Braille, the deaf have sign language, they can learn the Dharma that way. So, yes, that's true. They can learn the Dharma in that way, and it's good. But what happens if you're both blind and deaf? That's the situation Mansur is in. And so uh, we've had um, one, two... Um, two, I think, yeah, two calls with him so far, and another one is coming up next week. Uh, and it's, it's quite difficult, even with all the technology, because he needs an interpreter, yeah, and then somehow there's two other people besides, there's, there's three interpreters altogether, plus him and me, and it's quite difficult sometimes for the meaning to get across to him because the interpreters don't know the Dharma and he doesn't know specialized Dharma phrases. Um, he said he was, he, he was born blind and deaf or lost his sight very soon afterwards. So I don't know if he even knew how to read and, and identify things and then lost his sight. Um, but it takes a long time uh, to go back and forth. And this coming Tuesday, we're going to try doing it with the chat box and typing in the chat box, and that will translate it into Braille, which he can read, and then he'll, I guess write in Braille, and it'll translate into written, you know, Roman letters, and then we can read it. Yeah. And we'll hope that that system works. We, this will be the first time we tried that. So that's, that's one thing, yeah? Um, and then another uh, is, you know, of course, reading, uh, meeting, um, proper teachers who can actually teach you and Sangha communities that you can practice with. And I got an email today from the son of somebody who is a Buddhist teacher. I've never heard of him before. And the son is just saying how his father is actually, um, is not fit to be a Buddhist teacher, yeah, that he's somebody who's quite cruel and, and so on. I sent the, I forwarded the email I received. I don't know how this person got my contact, but I forwarded it to, uh, there was a Buddhist university where this guy apparently teaches, so I forwarded it there. But, you know, again, another obstacle and um, if, if people meet a teacher that isn't qualified and find that per you know, follow that person. So all sorts of things can come up, yeah? 
and um, you know, we we never know whether we're going to live from one day to the next, even though we think that death only happens to other people. It doesn't matter what we think. <laughs> okay? Our thinking something doesn't make it true. <laughs> so, uh, you know, really learning to appreciate the present opportunity and use it for, for uh, again and again, putting the seed of bodhicitta into our mind stream so that one day we'll, act, we'll have actual bodhicitta. Okay. So we're on 286. The section is called Levels of Mind. Both Sutrayana and Tantrayana speak of different levels of mind. In Sutrayana, the principal factor distinguishing various levels of mind is the depth of single-pointed concentration. So beings in the desire realm have coarse states of mind, don't we? Yeah, constantly distracted externally to external objects. Okay, those in the four form realms and four formless realms have progressively subtler and more refined states of mind cor corresponding to their progressively deeper states of concentration. Yeah. So as you're eliminating distractions, as you're developing the ability to stay on an act, uh, an object without getting distracted, and then that, that object becoming very vivid, very clear to you, uh, then you have higher states of concentration that are subtler states of mind. Okay. So, it, so this is according to Sutrayana. So the subtlest mind is the peak of samsara. That's the, uh, last formless realm. It's also called, uh, neither discrimination nor non-discrimination. It's another name for the peak of samsara. It's called the peak of samsara because it's as high as you can, you can go. But you're still in samsara because you haven't, uh, eliminated the afflictions. Yeah. So. You're in that peak for a while, and then kerplunk. Yeah. So this mind is, con but this mind of the peak of samsara is considered coarse compared to the subtlest mind presented in tantra. Okay. So in highest yoga tantra, the levels of mind are differentiated by the physical condition of the body. When the sense uh, faculties are active, the sense consciousnesses function. And so they're the coarsest level of mind. Again, quite obviously, isn't it? You know, we're seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and the mind's just going from one object to the next. Okay. Uh, the dream state is a little subtler because at that time the sense faculties do not function, although the brain is still active and the eyes uh, move during REM sleep. 
Deep sleep and fainting are even subtler, and the subtlest level of mind which can function apart or separate from the physical body manifests at the time of death. So uh, the the mental consciousness that we usually have when we're waking, it's a coarse consciousness too. It isn't listed here, but that's it belongs with the sense consciousnesses. Okay. Uh, okay, so the subtle level of mind, which can function apart from the physical body, manifests at the time of death. This is the fundamental innate clear light mind. Uh, and it's accompanied by a very subtle wind, which is its mount. Okay, so wind, it, it doesn't mean exactly, you know, what we get here on windy days that are, you know, blowing the dust all around. It's it's a subtle kind of energy, phys- physical, uh, not, it's not physical, tangible with your fingers, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it goes on the side of the body, you know. And so in terms with of uh of our sense consciousnesses, uh they each have a wind that go with it. And the the wind, you know, helps the mind contact the uh the object. Okay. It says that the wind takes the the mind to the object. And at first, the language that is used, it sounds like due to the the wind, you know, will like go out your eyeball and go to the clock back there and then come back in here. You know, it sounds like, yeah, because it says it takes the the mind to the object. But no, that's not what happens. That The consciousness doesn't leave the body to go perceive something a ways away. Okay. Uh, and as the mind gets settler, subtler, you also have a subtler and subtler wind that is the mount uh, that goes together with, with uh, that consciousness. So this subtlest mind and subtlest wind are one entity. Here we're talking about the fundamental innate mind of clear light. Yeah, so that mind, that consciousness, and the wind that is its mount are one entity but nominally different. That is, one cannot exist without the other, although they can be spoken of separately. Okay. So it's, it's this thing of, uh, this idea of one nature is, is quite interesting because these things, the, the wind and the mind are two different things. Yeah. But they're conjoined and, you know, you can't have the consciousness without having the wind. That is its mount. Yeah. But they're two different things. It's like the two truths. Yeah, the veiled truth and and ultimate truth. You can't have one without the other, yeah, because every emptiness, which is an ultimate truth, is the emptiness of something, and that something is a relative truth. Or not relative, but veiled truth, or conventional truth. Okay? But clearly... 
the two truths are totally different things. Yeah, ultimate truth isn't veiled truth and vice versa. Okay, so the term clear light has various meanings depending on the context. So we find this often again and again, you know, that one term like clear light, Different meanings in different contexts. The word bliss, different meanings in different contexts. You know, there's many, many words like this. So it's really important when you're studying to know what context to understand it in. Okay. So it has various meanings depending on the context. In the sutra vehicle, clear light refers to one, the clear and cognizant nature of the conventional mind. Okay? It's clear, it's formless, it can reflect object, it's cognizant, it can engage in the object. Okay? So that's the uh, nature of the conventional mind. That conventional mind is called the subject clear light. Okay, some people say subjective clear light. That is very misleading because when you hear subjective, what do you think of? What's the meaning of subjective in English? It comes from being, it? It's self-referring, It's an opinion of from someone. It's an I. It's a me. It's personal. It's yeah. colored by something. Yeah, not clear. And and also we say you know how you perceive something is subjective. Yeah. In other words, it's how you interpret it, the your perspective, the angle at which you're looking at it. In other words, it's it's not uh, something fixed among different people. It's up to your mind. So calling the, the what's clear and cog- the clear and cognizant nature of the conventional mind the subjective clear light makes it it doesn't make much sense. It's quite misleading. So here I put the subject clear light because. Subject has many meanings too, but, you know, we know this is a consciousness, so the subject, in other words, the consciousness that's apprehending the object. Okay. So here, saying the mind is clear light implies that the afflictive obscurations and cognitive obscurations uh, are adventitious and do not exist in the nature of the mind. So that's when we, when we say that, uh, the, you know, the, the nature of, of the conventional mind is clear and cognizant. It's, um, assuming, you know, that the, uh, afflictions don't exist in the nature of the mind. Okay. Another meaning of sutra, uh, sutrayana for clear light is the emptiness of the mind. And that's called the object clear light. It's the ultimate nature of the mind. And the object clear light is the object that is apprehended by the subject clear light. 
Okay. So it's like that. So but here subject and object just means the apprehender and apprehended. Okay. So in both Sutra and Tantra, the subject clear light is the awareness that cognizes the object clear light. However, the subject clear light mind spoken of in Tantra is far subtler than the subject clear mind that we speak of in, in Sutrayana. This innate clear mind is a special mind because it is the source or basis of all phenomena in samsara and nirvana. You know, our, our regular course consciousnesses are not the basis for <laughs> everything in samsara and nirvana because they, the course minds are functioning with the course uh, sense faculties, and those don't go from one life to the next. And, you know, they're very coarse. They don't always function. Okay. Whereas when we talk about the innate clear light mind, uh, we say it's the source or basis of, um, of all phenomena in samsara nirvana. Okay. So this subtlest mind continues from one life to the next. It is not a soul or self. Okay, so don't confuse it thinking it's a real I, it's a real person. It's not, okay, because it's changing moment by moment. It changes moment by moment, and it is empty of inherent existence. So it's not some kind of permanent soul or self. At death, the coarser levels of mind absorb into the innate clear light mind. And after rebirth, the coarser consciousnesses reemerge from the basis of the innate clear light mind. Okay. So as we're dying and uh, the body loses the ability, the elements and the winds lose the ability to support consciousness. Yeah, so they are dissolving. Then the coarser levels of consciousness are also dissolving. When you get to that subtlest, subtle, the subtlest of the subtle, you know, of the subtlest, subtle, um, clear light mind. Yeah, that's the moment of death. Yeah. And then when that mind becomes slightly coarser, then the being enters the bardo. Okay. And then when the bardo being takes rebirth, then you get the coarse sense faculties and then the senses start operating and you have the sense consciousness. Okay. So the subtlest clear mind is not a soul or self. It changes moment by moment and is empty of inherent existence. At death, the coarser levels of mind absorb into the innate clear light mind. And after rebirth, the coarser consciousnesses reemerge from the basis of the innate clear light mind. When these coarser levels of consciousness exist, constructive and destructive thoughts and emotions arise and karma is created. 
So that's all created on a, on a coarser level. Yeah. The result of afflictive thoughts and actions is samsara. The result of thoughts and actions purified by the realization of emptiness is nirvana. The presence of ignorance or wisdom determines whether this mind is in samsara or nirvana. So it is said that the innate clear light mind is the creator in that it is the source or basis of samsara and nirvana. This indicates that phenomena do not arise causelessly. They don't just appear out of nothing, yeah, because this clear light mind is its source. Uh, nor are phenomena created by an external creator. Yeah, so there's nobody, you know, creating, <laughs> creating uh, our samsara nirvana. And uh, we're also, our mind is not uh, one part of some kind of uh, universal mind. So we're not chips off the old block of some kind of universal mind. That, that idea is very prominent in New Age kind of things. Okay, so to make, a, um, to make an analogy, owing to the climate in a particular place, plants and animals come to exist there. From that perspective, we say the climate of the place creates the living things there, because it acts as their basis. Similarly, because the clear light mind exists, all the phenomena of samsara and nirvana become possible. Okay, so this term of, that it's saying that it's the basis of everything in samsara and nirvana, or it's the creator, that, you know, understanding what that means, you can't just rely on the usual English word of, you know, basis or source or creator, um, because then again, we, we come up with the wrong idea. Oh, my mind is the creator. So all I have to do is think something and then it comes into existence. Yeah. No, that's not what it's saying. Yeah. Okay, so saying that the clear light mind is the source of all phenomena in samsara and nirvana is a general statement. It does not mean that the subtlest mind is the substantial cause for phenomena in samsara and nirvana. So the substantial cause is the cause that actually turns its continuity becomes the result. Okay, so wood is the substantial cause of the, the table. Yeah, this kind of metal is the substantial cause of the, of the bell. So like that, okay. So, uh, so it doesn't mean that the, subs that the subtlest mind win is the substantial cause for phenomena in samsara, that your mind win goes poof, and then creates all these things, you know, out there. 
Uh, that's not what it means. Okay. Nor does it mean that phenomena arise from my clear light mind or your clear light mind. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we have my phenomena from my clear light mind and your phenomena from your clear light mind. And, you know, that it gets really rather confusing. Okay. Furthermore, it is not the same as the Chidamadras assert um, that all phenomena are the nature of the mind, which refers to their unique tendency that the, an object and the consciousness perceiving it arise from the same substantial cause, a latency on the foundation consciousness. So it, it also doesn't mean that. Okay. So saying that the clear light mind is the source of all phenomena in samsara and nirvana means that all phenomena exist in relation to the mind. Okay, so that right away tells us that they can't be inherently existent. Yeah, because things that are inherently existent don't exist in relationship to anything. Yeah. They, they uh, are not influenced by any other topics. So, uh, saying that the clear light mind is the source of all phenomena in samsara and nirvana means that all phenomena exist in relation to the mind. All phenomena exist by being merely designated by mind. This conclusion is arrived at because all other possibilities, such as objective existence and existence from its own side, are untenable. Okay, so, but again, this is confusing. That things exist by being merely designated by mind. So again, it's very easy to have the idea of I designate something you know, that this is a giraffe. Yeah. And so now it should function as a giraffe. Because I designated it one. Well, no, that's not going to work. So then, and this is how you understand how the Svatantrik and Majamakas came to exist. Well, if you can't just call something that object and make it become like that, then there must be something in it from its side that works hand in hand with my designation so that I call this a thermos. You know, this has some thermos nature. Yeah. And then I, ha I still have to call it a thermos, but I can't call it a giraffe. Okay, and so both arguments make sense, don't they? Because if this has some th thermos nature, then we should be able to find the thing that's the thermos. And we can't do that. But if it exists by being merely designated, then why can't I call it a giraffe? So you go back and forth, between being a Svatantrika and a Prasangika. Okay? Yeah, tick, tock, tick, tock. <laughs> you know, 
this side of the fence, that side of the fence. Okay, but don't both sides make sense? Yeah, but both sides also don't make sense. Okay, so somehow we're thinking in the wrong way about what some of these terms mean, or yeah, how how they how the whole thing actually works. Yeah, how can we say it's empty but it's conventionally existent at the same time? If it's conventionally existent, it has to have something that makes it it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you have something inside you that makes you you? You were born with it, you know, some essence, something that's really you. Yeah, don't you have that feeling? Yeah. Someone says your name and instantly that feeling comes up. Yeah. When they say somebody else's name, you don't have the feeling of I. Yeah. Somebody else doesn't matter. Yeah. My name? Oh, what's going on? <laughs> okay. Yeah, but if we had some essence there that came with us, that came into us at the time of conception, yeah, then what is it? And where can you find it? Is it my thoughts? Well, my thoughts are pretty chaotic and contradictory. How can that be my essence? Well, maybe my essence is <laughs> contradictory and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Would the prasangika say that it's the designation that makes the object what it is? It comes from the Subject side? The designation. So the designation is the word. So so the word thermos makes that a thermos? I thought it was more than a word. Huh? It's it, like a concept. No. Like what? What what is it? Because animals designate, but they don't have language. No, they don't have language. So what does designate mean? I'm, I think of it as like a conception, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah. So then things exist by my conceiving. So this is the Wicked Witch of the West. No, this is Toto. Yeah, Toto. Arf, 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 arf. It's like we don't have control over what our mind is designating. That's the thing. We don't? No. <laughs> Why do people go to court? They're trying to designate whether somebody's guilty or ignorance. We have lots of control over what we designate. The judge decides who is yeah. you know, going to yeah. get to decide. No, no, the jury does. Yeah? So they call somebody guilty, then... 
then they're for sure guilty. They have some guilty nature. Yeah. It's when you really start scratching the surface, it, you know, at least I become like, duh. Um, you know, it's very, it's very difficult. Uh-uh. How do they exist by being merely designated? Okay. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, but His Holiness always says, well, things either are merely designated or they're inherently existent. And they can't be inherently existent. We can refute that by logic and reasoning. So they must be dependently designated, you know. Then our, then our minds say, oh, but, you know, maybe they're created by God or maybe, you know, they're a chip off the old one mind that we all share. We come up, human beings, we come up with all sorts of ideas. Yeah. And then we believe them. I mean, really, when you think about it, this whole world is one big conspiracy theory. Really, when you think about what people believe in this world, most of it is like, yeah, it can be refuted by reasoning and logic. You can't point to it. Yeah, Even science changes its mind, right? They change their mind all the time. Yeah. But apparently the, uh, what is it? His Holiness, he likes, um, what's not Newtonian physics. What? Quantum physics, yeah. He says that that has something to do with the prosyngigavil. But again, you know, if you ask ask any of the the uh, the quantum physicists, are you a quantum physicist? Yeah, yeah. Well, can we designate you one? Yeah. So then you become one. Okay, or maybe if you hear what I have to say, then you'd rather I designate this as a, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, but with, you know, most scientists, if you, you know, they'll say, oh, well, yeah, it depends on the mind perceiving it, whether it's a, Light is a particle or a wave. It depends on the perceiver. And there's other examples, you know, that they give. But in their daily life, do any of those people actually live their life as if they believe that? Yeah. I think I told you once when I was talking to a... um a psychologist, the scientific psychologist doing research. And we were talking, he was telling me about all the parts of the brain that light up when you're angry. And I said, 
oh, you know, I mean, he said anger is, uh, you know, a chemical thing, electrical thing going on in your brain. And I said, well, okay, so when you get angry at somebody, do you think, oh, there's no reason to be angry? It's just different chemicals in my mind. Yeah. He looked at me. <laughs> yeah. But it should, if you, if you really believe that, you should apply it to your life. Yeah. So I got mad. So I don't need to take care of my anger. It's just the chemicals in my mind. Yeah. And actually, a lot of people believe that. And that's why, uh, you know, there's so, psychiatrists are giving out so many, so much medicine nowadays. Yeah. Because it's, it's thought that those things are, you know, it's just chemicals in your mind. But chemicals in your mind don't perceive and they don't feel. They may influence the consciousness, but they are not conscious. Okay, the Kala Chakra Tantra explains that the ultimate goal, Buddhahood, is based on the subtlest clear light mind. The coarse levels of mind cannot be transformed into the omniscient mind of a Buddha. Okay, so becoming an omniscient Buddha isn't a question of reading every book in the library and now you know everything. Okay. When I was a little kid, I, I had the dream of reading every book in the library. Yeah. Now, mm, no. <laughs> yeah. Only the subtlest mind wind, which is beginningless and endless, can continue to Buddhahood. By employing the special practices of highest yoga tantra to neutralize the coarser levels of mind, the defilements present with the coarser levels of mind dissolve and the subtler states of mind arise. Okay. Just because it's a subtler state of mind and the afflictions are not manifest doesn't mean your mind is free of afflictions. Okay, because the seeds uh, of the affliction still exist. Yeah. When accompanied by wisdom, okay, these uh, progressively subtler states of mind have more power to affect change and purify the mind. When the subtlest mind wind is activated, transformed into bliss, and used to realize emptiness directly, it is extremely effective in rooting out the deepest and most entrenched obscurations. Okay. So when all obscurations have been removed, this innate clear light mind becomes a Buddha's omniscient mind and the wisdom truth body of a Buddha. Okay. So that subtlest mind becomes the wisdom truth body. Now, it's emptiness and the, it's, um, 
it's scoped and it's uh, true cessations, okay, become the nature truth body of that Buddha. And the subtlest wind transforms into a Buddha's form bodies, the enjoyment and emanation bodies by which a Buddha benefits sentient beings. Okay, so by getting everything into that subtlest mind win, you can't get any subtler. And when that is purified, you have the four Buddha bodies. Kind of amazing, isn't it? When you think about it. So the key to the tantric path is learning how to make manifest the subtlest mind win and use it to accumulate merit and wisdom and attain full awakening. And so a lot of what highest yoga tantra does, you know, uh, is talk about methods to make manifest that subtlest mind. Yeah. And it's not easy. Yeah, you don't just sit there and go, subtle mind, subtlest mind, subtlest mind. Arise, arise. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not going to do it. Okay. So this begins with gaining a comprehensive understanding of the entire Buddhist path from beginning to end. That's the first step. You want to get to the four Buddha, bo Buddha bodies? This is... The first thing you do, okay, gain that comprehensive understanding of the entire path from beginning to end. You know, because when you have that, then whatever teaching you hear, you know where it fits in the path. And that's very, very important because if you don't, then, you know, you hear this teaching from this person and that teachings from the other. And you don't know what to practice in what order or how they relate to each other. Yeah. So then you get confusion times two. Yeah. Okay. So this begins with gaining a comprehensive understanding of the entire Buddhist path from beginning to end and then generating the three principal aspects of the path. The aspect for liberation, bodhicitta, and the correct view of emptiness. And when properly prepared in this way, so that's the preparation. Realizing emptiness is preparation. Okay. The moment your mind says, well, I've been practicing for, you know, one year, 200 years, 500 lifetimes. Okay. That thing, you know, the, the direct perception of emptiness is a preparation. Hmm. Do I have even that one? Mm -mm, no. How about bodhicitta? Mm -mm, no. How about plain old renunciation and a wish to get out of samsara? Do we have that? Oh, yes, I have that, but um, I'll tell you about it after I have my chocolate cake. <laughs> uh, so it's going to take a while. 
So it's very important to enjoy the path, enjoy the process. Okay. And, you know, instead of having grandiose expectations of enlightenment, you know, by next uh, Tuesday at the latest Thursday, yeah, um, <laughs> depending on if Santa has <laughs> will deliver your enlightenment, you know, when, when he will deliver it. Um, you know, no, it's not like that. Okay. So when properly prepared in this way, we then receive empowerment into highest yoga tantra. Okay, but that's not the end of it either. Abide by the tantric ethical restraints and, uh, and commitments and meditate on the generation and completion stages. Mm -hmm. So this causes, especially the completion stages of the highest yoga tantra, this causes the winds to enter, remain, and dissolve in the central channel, at which time all coarser levels of mind cease and the subtlest mind wind is activated. This is made blissful and used to realize emptiness. The stage of example, clear light, this is one stage in the... Uh, in the Guya Samaja version of the uh, of the path, uh, so the stage of example, clear light. This is on the completion stage, is attained when this subtle blissful mind wind realizes the object, clear light, emptiness, via a conceptual appearance. Okay, but this isn't. Like in Sutrayana, when you realize emptiness with a conceptual appearance. Because, uh, in a, even in example clear light, you have some of the dissolution of the winds and, uh, you can activate the bliss. Okay. When that, uh, subtlest blissful mind wind cognizes emptiness directly, the stage of actual clear light is attained. That's higher. And someone who has this attainment will become a Buddha in that very life. Guaranteed, or your money back. <laughs> the discussion of clear light relates to the topic of Buddha nature the potential of each and every sentient being to become a fully awakened Buddha. And so we now turn to that topic. Okay, so let's just pause for a minute. Any questions or comments? Yeah. On this page, um, 288. Mm-hmm where it says, when the subtlest mind wind is activated, made blissful and used to realize emptiness directly. Mm -hmm. The made blissful there, is that relating to concentration? No, it's a different kind of bliss. Yeah. There's one, what, that, remember at the beginning, I said different kinds of bliss. So this is a kind of bliss that uh, comes about due to the melting of these very subtle drops in the central channel of the body. Yeah. So it's a special bliss. 
my question backing up a little is like in the Theravada mm-hmm. commentaries, I think Buddha Gosa talks about when he talks about concentration, he talks about the cause of concentration is bliss. No, that's an out an outcome of concentration. I think he says a cause. I, I had the impression that the thing of like in the Satipatthana Sutra, the mindfulness of breathing, this part where you make the mind blissful and all, or joyful and blissful in those states. I thought those these things were uh, to increase concentration. Yeah, I always interpreted it as the mind becomes joyful because it's more concentrated. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess this that. doesn't have anything to do with that, I don't think. Yeah, even in Sutra, we speak of the cell metopa in uh, cultivating concentration. Mm-hmm. There is these three things involved. De is bliss. Cell is clarity. Mm-hmm. Metopa here is not non-conceptual per se, but less conceptual, less distracted. So all these three are necessary combinations for every concentration practice. So some some kind of bliss is always there. So this that's this why uh, when this is increased, then it will manifest in the form of blindness and whatnot. But nonetheless, as Venerable just mentioned, when the mind is concentrated, it the very concentration brings in some uh, sense of peace, joy, along with it. So you're saying some some bliss exists before you have the concentrated yes. state, and it causes it, and then that increases the bliss. Yes. Yeah. Even in the process of cultivating concentration, without before having reached shamatha or vipassana, mm. even during the process of cultivating it, there are elements of joy, concentration, mm. clarity, all combined. Yeah. They're very small. Yes. Yeah. But sitting there and, and watching your breath and your, your legs don't hurt is that kind of uh, bliss is not highest Yogatantra. <laughs> that will completely pale in comparison. <laughs> Practical practice question that I have puzzled with for a long time because these, um, um, dissolution stages, even His Holiness teaches outside of the context of mm. Tantra anymore. Yeah. And yet, when I think that the karma for my next life is ripening before I even, I mean, way earlier in that process, you know, so if I, if you're meditating on death, if you're meditating on death and looking and, 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 you know, spending time with the dissolutions, you know, what we just said is that unless you have this concentration, unless you have some understand, a great deal of understanding of emptiness and can actually access this, it's not going to do much good for a person like me. Whereas the karma ripening for my next life happens very early in the death process. And it seems like that should be the moment that I'm spending way more time in my practice <laughs> trying to make sure that, that I'm creating the conditions for a virtuous karma to ripen. So I just, okay. I've always puzzled about this. Okay. I don't think it's an either or thing. I think one of the reasons, because Lama Yeshi had 
all of us doing the, the death absorption meditation. None of us had received empowerment or any, anything. But the point is, when you do that, you get much more of a feeling like, I'm going to die, and when I die, I'm not going to be the same me that I feel I am now. And I'm going to have to give up everything. And you can get that kind of feeling when you do the absorption. So that is quite helpful to your practice. Yeah, it's like, okay, if I'm going to have to give up everything when I die, I don't want to freak out at that moment by real, by, you know, recognizing I'm not going to be the same me. Yeah. And my whole sense of I is going to go cattywampus. Um, you know, then that can really inspire us to, you know, we can say, yeah, okay, getting to, to, uh, that level and being able to generate the, blissful wisdom that realizes emptiness that that's a little bit in the future yeah so i'm gonna have to rely on methods that are within my graphs now which are for example generating refuge and bodhicitta at the time of death and so i need to really make sure that those two things are strong in my mind and that when I am disturbed or bothered or whatever, I can direct my mind towards those and and make that a very strong habit. Yeah. It says the presence of ignorance or wisdom determines whether this mind is in samsara or nirvana. Mm -hmm. But the first Bhumi Arya has the presence of wisdom and is still stuck in Yes. Yeah. So that, that sentence is not to be taken literally like that. What it means is, you know, are you cultivating wisdom or are you cultivating ignorance? Yeah. And then that's, that is going to determine what you are. If you cultivate wisdom to the fullest extent, you know, Buddhahood, when you, when you don't, is samsara. Okay. Yeah, it's sometimes hard when you write something, because if you write that, then I have to explain that whole thing. That because that's when you say, if you cultivate ignorance, you have some sorrow. If you cultivate wisdom, you have nirvana. Just saying it like that, I find that rather powerful, you know. And it's like, oh, then which one am I going to cultivate? But if I explain the meaning of that sentence. Then, then it's not so powerful. It doesn't shock me in the same way. Okay, so chapter 13 called the Buddha nature. So the mind's potential according to the Pali tradition. Um, okay, so we're going to go through the Pali tradition, the Vibhasakas, the Sotantrikas, the Chittamadrans or Yogacharyas, and the Madhyamikas, Madhyamakas. And, um, and see how each of, each of them talks about the mind's potential for purification. And you'll see big differences between these. Okay. So although the term Buddha nature is not used in the Pali scriptures, 
to describe the mind's potential to attain liberation. The Buddha identified certain characteristics that reveal spiritual practitioners' inclinations towards liberation. So this may, you know, be something coarser, but this is still something for us to practice. Okay, Characteristics such as having modest desire and a sense of contentment signify that a person is a genuine spiritual practitioner aiming for liberation. Mm. Modest desire. Uh, modest, modest desire. Mm. Sense of contentment. What is modest desire? Can I still have the food I like? Yeah. Can I still say I need that mattress to sleep on? And the air cons not turned up high enough? What a modest desire. Oh, I know what it is. It means I don't want a Cadillac. Oh, shoot. Okay, so I have modest desire. Yeah, I must now be somebody who's a genuine spiritual practitioner aiming for liberation. No cat, uh, I don't even want a, want a beamer. I don't want a rolls. I don't want a car. I have real renunciation, you know. Okay, we got that clear. Okay, modest desire and a sense of contentment. But when people make a mess, I need to point it out to them for for their own good. Yeah? You want me to be content with the Buddha hall looking like that? Yeah? No, we, we've got to, you know, we meet with them every two weeks and we... Uh, what was that book called? Something in the year of our discontent. You know, there's anybody, I never read it. But anyway, yeah, we, we talk about our discontent. We aren't content with that. And you know what? They aren't content either. Yeah. Cause they want to redo things and we, we want them to do what they say they're going to do. And yeah. None of us are content. Sense of contentment. Well, I'm I'm content when Venerable Sultram makes enchiladas. <laughs> yeah, so I, I have some contentment, huh? Yeah, and when she makes carrot cake, I like that too. Yes, uh, yeah, I, I have some contentment. Mm. Mm. I'm not sure I'm content with this carpeting, but it'll do. It'll do, yes, I'm, I'm content with this carpeting. We, we chose this carpeting because if you kneel down and look at it very closely, which I'm sure you've never done, but we did when we were looking at carpet samples. We saw that there's many different colored loops in the carpet. 
So we thought that because there's many different colored loops, whatever colored dirt fell on the carpet, it would blend in. Yeah? So that's why we chose this. Uh, but that that's a conspiracy theory. It didn't work out. We thought the same thing for the carpet on on um on the stairs back here. I bet all of you think that carpet's brown. Get down on your hands and knees and look at that color. That has different colored threads in it. <laughs> so we thought it too, you know, none of the dirt would show. Yeah, you're shaking your head. You think we're a bunch of dodos. Yeah, yeah. The dirt. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to see the carpeting for the dirt. <laughs> okay. Now, next time, all of you get to choose the carpet. <laughs> That's real fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I heard that the Buddha... Hall committee chose some carpeting last year that they said what yeah and they threw it all out they had chosen it last year um, because it didn't have a pattern and so it would be easy to change when things got ruined and then last week uh, the carpet guy said that it, they discontinued that kind of carpet. No, no, they didn't discontinue it. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me get the right scoop here. Many months ago, maybe twenty four months ago, we chose this carpet pattern, and I believe our abbess was the one who actually chose it. And no, yes, <laughs> no, I don't choose carpet. Anyway, yeah, okay, you can blame it on me. I'm doing Tonglen. <laughs> I guess it's just perspective. What? It's subjective and it's my perspective that anyway, something happened and it was chosen. It has a pattern on it. Yeah. And it was a pattern that he told us would look very good in this big open space in the main hall. Oh. And the color is pleasing. And then we learned just a few days ago that that particular pattern is very difficult to match up in a big space and there would be a huge amount of waste and that would increase the cost. Oh. So now we'll go with a carpet that has no pattern. Oh. Who wants a carpet with pattern anyway? The person who chose that didn't know anything. What? It what? It wasn't me. It was beautiful. Okay. Okay. Although the term carpet pattern is not used in the Pali Sutra. Oh, excuse me. Um, <laughs> the term Buddha nature is not used in the Pali scriptures to describe the mind's potential to attain liberation. Okay, 
We talked about that. Characteristics as having modest desire and a sense of contentment signify that a person is a genuine spiritual practitioner aiming for liberation. You know, I'll take any kind of carpet as long as it has carpet. Yeah? We don't want the the big hall to not have carpet, do we? Yeah, because everybody complains sitting on this carpet that it's too hard. So then we should be satisfied with any kind of carpet. (laughs) What? With padding, yes. Okay. Practitioners uh, endeavor daily to cultivate these virtuous characteristics that indicate their potential to gain realizations. Oh, maybe we should try and cultivate few desires and a lot of contentment. Hmm. In the sutra called Luminous, the Buddha spoke of the clear nature of the mind that is tainted by adventitious defilements that can be removed. Now here, the term luminous, okay? The, the word in Tibetan is cell, and some people translate it as clear, and some people translate it as luminous. I don't know about you, but to me, the words clear and luminous have very, very different meanings. I'm seeing people nod. So even uh, in what we chanted today, yeah, the four mindfulnesses according to Tantra, in one sentence, the translation has clear. The next sentence, it has luminous. Okay, it's the exact same word. I think we should. it should just be clear the whole way across. If you say the mind is luminous, I personally get the image of the mind radiating light kind of shining, shining in the dark. thats I mean, that's what luminous means. But the mind doesn't shine in the dark. (laughs) So how can it be luminous? Clear, yes, you can't see it. That makes sense. Yeah, so I, I don't know why. It sounds more magical to say the mind is luminous. But I think it's it's confusing, too, at least to me. Okay. So here's the, uh, the quotation from the sutra. This mind, O monastics, is luminous, but it is defiled by adventitious defilements. The uninstructed worldling, worldling does not understand this as it really is. Therefore, for him, there is no mental development. Okay, because the uninstructed worldling refers to a person who doesn't know anything about the Dharma. Okay, so they don't know that the mind's nature is clear and cognizant. Okay, uh, and in, uh, then it, its nature is undefiled. Yeah. People, I mean, if you don't know Dharma, you think your mind is, you don't really think about much what the mind is, do you? Yeah, it's just whatever I think, whatever I feel, yeah, goes through my mind, it's all real. Yeah. 
Okay, so that's the uninstructed worldling who doesn't see that the defilements are adventitious and can be removed. So for the uninstructed worldling, there's no hope. Yeah. So that's, that's why people created the idea of a god. Because if it was just, you know, if you don't know anything about the nature of the mind, you've got to have some thing that gives you hope. So then you create all sorts of different things. Yeah. So the uninstructed worldling does not understand this as it really is. Therefore, for him there is no mental development. This mind, O monastics, is luminous, and it is freed from adventitious defilements. The instructed Arya disciple understands this as it really is. Therefore, for him, there is mental development. Okay, and Arya is somebody who has realized emptiness directly, who has started the process of eliminating the defilements on the mind. So they see that those defilements are adventitious. Okay, so that's the Pali tradition. Any other questions or comments? I don't want to start the next section now because we are kind of out of time. In Pali tradition, does everyone have a chance to become Buddha? Mm, it depends who you talk to. Yeah. And in some, uh, they say, like the Vibhasakas and Satantrikas do, that uh, nirvana without remainder, then the aggregates, you know, they ha they uh, somebody no longer takes the five polluted ag aggregates, yeah, and the so the stream of of mental the mental consciousness is cut off. Yeah, and uh, so some people say that. Other people, somebody talked about Achan um, Buwa, yeah, the other day. He says that the consciousness continues after that, and it's in a purified state. So, you know, within the Pali tradition, depending on who you talk to, they're going to have different views about that. And I also wonder if they also say that some people could never make even to liberation at all? Mm. That they do not have the rig? Mm. Well, um, no, again, it's not exactly like that. Um, first of all, they don't, when they talk about uh, full awakening, yeah, they say that it's for the... Um, the arhats, you know, or the practitioners who are going to be wheel-turning Buddhists. Yeah. Everybody else becomes an arhat. So, um, the Buddha, you know, also in the, in our tradition, when you give the epitaphs for the Buddha, you have arhat. And in our tradition, fully awakened one. Um, the fully awakened one is also in the Pali. 
Yeah, but it's just how they they look at it. Is they don't make the the very big difference between those two that that we do. Yeah. What was your question again? Uh, in the Sautantrika and Vaibhashika system. Oh, does somebody not does not have any Buddha nature at all? I mean, they do yeah. not call it Buddha nature. Nature. They just call it nature. Yeah. Because not everyone can make to Buddha, Buddhahood yeah. that not everyone doesn't have. Yeah. But no, there are some who doesn't at all have nature. Yeah. Um, no, they don't, uh, they don't talk, say that. Yeah. Um, they, you know, everybody can become an arhat. Okay. Uh, but like I said, there's not a clear differentiation between an arhat and a Buddha. There is a difference, but not this, this clear-cut one. Um, it, it's more that, and there's different kinds of arhats, okay? S- because somebody can become an arhat just with, I forget if it's the fourth dhyana, but what with, oh no, it's, no, with, with, um, what's it called? Access concentration. Yeah. You can become an arhat with access concentration. That's prior to the first dhyana. So some people who want to become an arhat quickly do that because you don't have to generate serenity and all the dhyanas and, and so forth. But others of them, um, generate the dhyanas or the, the formless absorptions and become arhats that way. Uh, so you remember the, the 20 sanghas? And all those different ways. So that is very much like that. So many different ways to practice and, uh, different kinds of arhats that somebody, some arhats, um, generate very strong compassion. They want to. Other arhats are not so interested in compassion. So, but there, there's no talk of people who, uh, cannot become a, So the term um, clear light mind Mm -hmm. is the same word repeated there? If it's clear and luminous are the same term? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So we usually say clear light mind, but it's the same Tibetan word. Uh, Well, uh is light, but self. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Is clear light. Mm-hmm. So saying that the arhats um, only need access concentration to attain that state, does that mean that you can use access concentration to eliminate the afflictive obscurations, mm-hmm. but then you need to access the subtlest clear light mind to eliminate the cognitive obscurations? Okay. You have to specify which tradition you're talking about. Are you talking about the Pali or the Tibetan Tantra or the Tibetan Paramitayana? Because the, the answer is going to be different. From the, from the sutra perspective. Okay. From the Sanskrit sutra perspective. perspective. Yeah. The, that, so you're saying from the Sanskrit sutra perspective perspective can you generate um 
can you generate can you eliminate all the afflictions with access concentration okay um so if you just talk about the afflictions yeah from the viewpoint of the poly tradition uh yes from the viewpoint of the paramitayana so not just regular sutrayana but paramitayana uh no you need to uh you usually yeah you need to have a higher level of concentration i think at least the fourth dhyana Does that mean from that perspective that all the arhats also have a higher level of yes. concentration? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so so that that's the thing. When you study, oh, okay, the, the, you say, oh, the Vaibhasakas, this is what they think emptiness is. But Vaibhasakas become arhats. Well, how can they? The, what they say is ultimate truth is, you know... They will, they assert inherent existence. So what's going on here? So from the viewpoint of the Prasangika, they would say those people, yeah, maybe there's, there's, um, fundamental vehicle by practice and fundamental vehicle by aspiration. So if those people aspire for, uh, for, um, our hotship, their fundamental vehicle by aspiration. But to achieve our hotship, they have to have the prasangika view. So you can be somebody in the Pali tradition or asserting vaibhasakas or whatever things, but you can still have, but that can be in terms of what your aspiration is. But from the view you hold, you can still have a different view from a different school. Sangika would say that the Vaibhashika arhats are not really arhats. No, they, no, they would say that those people who are Vaibhashikas realize the emptiness of inherent existence. Okay, the Vaibhashikas in the sense that they aspire for our hotship. But yeah, that make when I said that there's you can be a tenant system by your aspiration or by your your view. So they are seeking our hotship, so their fundamental vehicle by aspiration. But you know, to attain our hotship, they have to have the prasangika view. So by view they are, they are prasangika. Yeah. What, what, what can we say as an example? Um, okay. So you're, this is not a great example, but you're Singaporean. Yeah. You're Singaporean right now by passport. Right? Yeah. Um, do you feel like you're Chinese Singaporean? What are you in terms of your lifestyle and your attitude? Especially your attitude towards, yeah. Yeah. You're not Singaporean that way, but, but you're still you. Yeah. It's still the same person. 
Yeah. So your passport can say one thing, but what you, f- where you feel you belong, you know, cause you, you're always saying, eh, I can't identify with this Chinese stuff. Okay. So you always say, so by your mind thinking you're not Chinese. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. But you're Singaporean by passport. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, okay. But you, you're, you're not Chinese by the way you think, but you are Chinese. But that's what they say in your passport. On what you mean by Chinese, because there's a big debate about this Chinese, even the term Chinese, how does it come about? So yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a complicated issue. Yes. Okay. So one day maybe I'll be Chinese too. <laughs> I feel, sometimes I feel Chinese. Yeah. And when I, when I walk around in, especially when I was at, in, uh, Shanghai, when they took us to, um, like the port and we bun. were, oh, yeah, the bun, the bun. Okay. So when we were walking around there, then I was going, there were Americans there and I'm going, these Americans are so loud. <laughs> yeah. I had, I had no, I had just spent like a month or so with my Chinese friends, no foreigners. And it's like, they are very loud. Yeah, I didn't identify with them at all. Because the word Chinese is Huaren, which is does not exist. We people refer to themselves as Han. So it's a it's a different. So uh, it's not Chinese is a very iffy yeah. term. Yeah, you can't tell somebody who's Mong Mongolian or Tibetan that they're Han. Yeah, so so Chinese is also, and you can't tell them they're Chinese either. Yes, yeah. that's why I'm not Chinese. Okay, okay. but why? <laughs> I don't care what you are. Um, <laughs> I I care that you understand that what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> really, because I thought, because I thought what the the definite how the Vaibhashikas see the the way they. Um, define these arhats and these realizations, the Prasangika would say that these are not real arhats. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that, but anybody who says, oh, I'm, I'm a, a, a Vibhasaka who is an arhat, they haven't become an arhat by realizing the Vibhasaka view. They've become an arhat by realizing the Prasangika view. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I think we better stop now. <laughs> okay. So we're on what page now? 292. 292. Okay. Yeah. But it's interesting if, I mean, read ahead in, in this section. And you'll see there's so many different views, even within Buddhism. Yeah. 
And even within, you know, and all of these views are rooted in scriptures that the Buddha spoke. Huh? So was the Buddha confused? He taught Vivasaka sometimes and Prasangika the other time, you know? Yeah, he did that just to make us confused. We, we aren't confused enough. 